Hey, welcome to the Church Home Podcast with Judah Smith. Uh, That's me, Judah. I am so excited to share this message about Jesus and his love for you. I really hope it's a personal encouragement to you. Hey, let us know if we can serve you at churchhome.org. Join us on Pasture Chat uh, on the app. We want to make sure that you are cared for and loved without any further delay. Let's jump in. Here's the message. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read a scripture to you um, from... Uh, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 64, and then we'll get started. Now, this is going to be a radical verse. Prepare yourself accordingly, um, but we're going to use it as a platform, kind of a starting point to put together um, this message I want to share with you. It says, we've all become like one who is unclean. Good morning. How are you? And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Isn't that a one? <laughs> Happy Sunday. Let's read it again. We've all become like one who's unclean, and all of our righteous deeds, or one translation says, our righteousness is like filthy rags. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. What could the prophet Isaiah? who prophesied this thousands of years ago. Why is that relevant? Why is that important? Here's what we're going to do this morning. Um, I want to uh, consider together collectively. Now, a lot of the potency in the room is, first of all, we believe in the presence of Jesus and the presence of God, where he said, where two or more people are gathered in my name, under my banner, with the concept to converse and connect around me. He said, I promise, I give you my word, I'll always be there. So he is here. And that's a lot of what makes these moments potent and powerful and life-changing. But what also makes it potent, powerful, and life-changing is that we simultaneously, collectively as a community, start to come around the same thoughts and concepts. And uh, that makes a massive difference. Your, your lean-in and consideration of what we are talking about, it adds to the dynamic of the room, whether you're aware of it or not. And I want to come around one question, and this will also be the title of the talk. And here's the question, and I text it to a lot of my friends, and I'll tell you, this, this is going to sound uh, silly, but um, I used to text my friends, how's your soul? And then I wrote a book called How's Your Soul? based on the text I would send my friends. And now if I text my friends, how's your soul? They're like, yeah, nice try. I know the book and no one bought it. So (laughs) apparently none of you care about your soul. True story, my publisher is like, yeah, we should have gone with a different title. No one really wants to consider the state of their soul right now. And I was like, oh, okay. It's really a uplifting book. But anyways, that's beside the point. So I've switched it up a little bit. And mostly what I text my friends now is, is, is how, how you holding up, how you holding up. And that's the title of my message this morning. How are you holding up? How are you holding up? Which is an interesting thought, holding up, holding up. And it insinuates in the question, how are you doing between here and there? How are you holding up? How are you doing today? Uh, one of my favorite statements right now uh, among some of my friends, we're saying this a lot, is there's so much to look forward to. 
And I don't even have to be specific. Sometimes you can be specific, but I've just been saying that over my life. There's just so much to look forward to. There's just so much to look forward to. Like the end of baseball season. There's so much to look forward to, right? Like the start of football season. There is so much to look forward to. Um, it's, 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 it's just, it's, it's a wonderful concept and statement, but with all there is to look forward to, how you holding up right now? How you holding up? I have a lot of desires for this country. I have a lot of desires for my family. I have a lot of desires for this city. I have a lot of desires for the members of this church. I have a lot of dreams for my friends. I have an enormous amount of prayers and thoughts and concepts and dreams for my children, and I wish that I could control their life. That's what I really want to do. But I'm learning the older they get, the less control I have. And there's this thing called trust in Jesus, which was really great until I had teenagers. And I was like, ah, I don't want to trust Jesus anymore. <laughs> I just want to control them. Put them in a padded room till they're 27 and they can make, until their brains have actually like activated properly because right now their brains don't make any sense. What they fight over is nonsensical. It's just nonsensical. Teenage years, here's how I title them, nonsensical. No disrespect if you're a teenager. Oh, a little bit, but the point is, <laughs> in whatever season of life you're in, we all have somewhere we are hoping to arrive to. Do I dream that the United States of America could be a place where justice, uh, maybe not in its perfect form, but in an acceptable form, could be realized in neighborhoods and barrios and communities and cul-de-sacs throughout, coast to coast, corner to corner? Well, I do. But how are you holding up? How are you holding up? Because we're not there. So how are you holding up? Do you have a two-year-old? How are you holding up? Do you have a 20-year-old? Are you holding up? You know, like, I mean, you, I mean, th think about it, right? Since the divorce, how are you holding up? She said she's filing. How are you holding up? You said you'd be engaged by now, but things haven't worked out financially, so you haven't popped the question. How are you holding up? Your boss said he was gonna give you a raise and you haven't heard about it now for a month since. And you fear to bring it up. How you holding up? How you holding up? Um, you went to the doctor recently and the doctor said you have the worst sleep cycles ever. You even got a whoop or a mood ring or whatever. Coming to find out you, you, you really don't sleep well. And now you've realized why you're so tired and exhausted. And your spouse has a little bit more empathy, which is nice, but how you holding up? How you holding up? In other words, so much of life really is between here and there. Not to minimize the in-between, not to minimize the meantime, but to recognize it and hopefully embrace it. What are you doing in the meantime? The meantime is a really interesting concept in scripture because it does appear oftentimes we see what the disciples are doing in the meantime. And by the way, the meantime is not the most positive time in scripture. It's when the disciples lock themselves in a room 
Because between the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, there's this thing called meantime, and the disciples don't perform well during that period. Oftentimes, the meantime is where, well, we, we make decisions that aren't what we want. We decide to indulge ourselves. We're weary, we're exhausted, and it's in the meantime that we start to make decisions that might affect us for a long time. In the meantime, how you holding up? I can't remember, I'm only 43, soon to be 44. I'm excited about 44. 44 is a good number, one of my favorite numbers in the whole wide world, 44. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to 44. Chelsea will beat me there because I married an older woman. I don't want to get into why that was important in middle school when we started dating. But I was in seventh grade, she was in eighth grade. I was pretty popular, you can imagine. The point is... <laughs> like, I'm 43, still talking about my middle school popularity. Like, grow up, Judah. I'm trying in the meantime. But I can't remember in my whole lifetime a more charged climate. Just charged. Just charged. Now, some of it rightfully so. Some of it maybe not so rightfully so. I think we make mountains out of molehills. We do. I think you're cute. I think I'm cute. God thinks we're cute. But we do make mountains out of molehills. And then sometimes we make mountains into molehills that are actually much bigger deal and should be a bigger deal to us, our children, and our family. But everything's charged now. It's an interesting, uh, even in the marketplace, interacting with people on an airplane in the marketplace, things are very charged. Everyone's on their heels. Have you noticed? I mean... The other day I checked into, I want to say Delta Airlines, and the Delta, uh, many of the Delta pilots, I I'm making no comment on what they were boycotting. I'm not entirely sure. So if you are a Delta employee, uh, my sincerest apologies for my ignorance, but this is how my story went. We were checking in Delta, and all these Delta pilots were out picketing and, and not working. And I got to the ticket counter, and I saw the employees working on the ticket counter, and I could see it all over their faces. Like, the pilots out there, the guys and gals out there are making our job in here so much harder. And I could tell I was in between the Delta people, right? The, the pilots were behind me. The ticket agents were in front of me. And I was like, I could feel, and I'm a feeler. It is what it is. It is what it is. I can tell you where all my friends are sitting right now. I can tell you the look on their face. It's just what it is. My kids by the fire last night, like, Dad, do you always know where we're sitting? I said, always. I know what you're wearing. I know when you fall asleep. I know when you're on your phone. I know when you're not paying attention. I've been doing this a long time, right? So I feel things. I feel people. I feel rooms. And so I looked at the ticket agent and I go, are you, are you holding up okay? Are you okay? She goes, no. No, I'm not. Those guys out there are making my job a lot harder, aren't they? And I'm just like, oh, I can't even check in to get my boarding pass without a level of just charged energy. Everyone seems to be choosing sides. Everyone seems to be having these opinions. Opinions now have become a way of life in America. If you don't have an opinion, you are not American. And we, by the way, we got to have an opinion about everything, things we don't even know about. 
My favorite is sports, and you know, it's just the easiest one to talk about. But my favorite is like, I love how all of you want to tell um, the quarterback or the linebacker what to do. And, and some of you aren't even coordinated enough to play ping pong. You know what I mean? Like, it's adorable. He should have. Really? How would you do it, right? But that's, we are the armchair quarterback country. And that's a lot of what social media is added. Now, everyone wants to have an opinion. How you holding up? How you holding up? I've been confronted multiple times by perfect strangers in the streets of this city, and I don't even know their name. Come to find out they are a part of the church or were a part of the church, and they just walk up and confront me about what they presume that I believe or whatever. And it's just like, and so how am I holding up? How are you holding up? Sure, we all hope, right? I mean, let's talk about the church. The church at the end of the age, the Bible says, will be a pure and spotless bride. Well, until then, how are we holding up? How are we doing? A little bit of family drama. How are you holding up? A little bit of angst, a little bit of political division in your family. How, how, how are you holding up? Anybody here already considering the holidays and it's July? Fourth of July was rough enough. You didn't even have any fireworks, but you had fireworks, right? They were the big kind, the big booming kind. Over a hot dog and a hamburger, things got heated. How you, how you holding up? Now, if we were out to coffee and I asked you how you're holding up, a follow-up question would be kind of what, what, what's your go-to? Like what's gonna keep you going? Last night, um, there was a bunch of wind. I, I woke up to the wind. I, I feel like I'm a light sleeper. I also feel like um, I, I easily can talk myself into be, being afraid pretty much about anything. Um, so that's how my mind works. So all of a sudden I started thinking, we got those, these, you know, gosh, I love the Pacific Northwest. I love these tall, towering evergreens that are hundreds of years old. I will never get old of them. I love this place. I was born and bred. I was made for the Northwest. I don't want these Texas trees. I want Washington trees. You can keep your Texas trees. You can keep the couple trees Oklahoma has. I'd like the Washington trees, okay? I love our trees. But man, when the wind hits, you start to wish you were, you know, I don't know, in the plains of Oklahoma where you could see your dog run away for two weeks. I mean, it's just like, man, these... I had this, these thoughts. I woke up and... I thought, no, it'll be fine. The trees won't fall. And then I had this funny thought. Well, how do you know? I'm not an, is it an arborist? Is that, is that, I'm not an arborist. My dad told me the trees have roots. I've never checked. I don't know. Like these trees, you know, our trees out here, well, they go up two, 300. I mean, they're huge, right? I love our trees. But I'm looking out my window and, and they're just bending in the wind. And you're just like, no, they'll be fine. And I'm like, we don't know. No one's checked the root system probably ever of these trees. I'm just banking on these trees, and it turned into like, Lord, I trust you like I trust the roots in a tree, and this is my life. It's very, very weird up here, okay? But I was having a moment with Jesus, and I started thinking about those trees a lot like us today. Wow, it's windy out there, isn't it? It is windy. And if 
it hasn't been windy for you, um, you're going to have to leave your home sometimes, right? It's just windy. It's windy in the news. It's windy when you get updates on your phone. It's just windy. It's windy on Twitter. It's windy on Instagram. It's windy in the church. It's windy in the school. It's windy in the streets. It's windy on the East Coast. It's windy on the West Coast. It's windy in different countries. Uh, Missiles were launched from one country to another this morning. People are dying. It's windy. How are you going to hold up? Bend and not break, as they say. How are you holding up? Well, you know, for me, I, I, I built a business that's, that's allowed me independence. And so no matter where the market goes, no matter how high the interest rates go, I, 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 I've got a steady income. We're independently wealthy. We're good. So I, and those are ways of saying my money, my career, that's what gives me the roots to stick out, stick through, hold up in the windstorm. It is windy, by the way. Just because you get in the car and roll up all the windows doesn't mean it's not windy. It's still windy out there. In fact, I would like to think that we're the kind of church that's supposed to be in the wind. Supposed to be where, it is, where it's actually howling. Where people's hair is getting blown back. And things are getting moved around. And we're wondering what's going to become of all this. What's going to hold you up? Is it your commitment? I hear that a lot. I'm consistent and I'm committed. I'm going to stay committed. That's awesome. Other people say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold out through all the wind and all the rain and all the storms because I have compassion. I'm a person of empathy and compassion. I'd like to say that all of these explanations, and I know there's many, many more, I think are incredibly noble and and honorable. I think we should be people of good conduct, and I think we should honor our career with hard work. I think we should be people of commitment and consistency and people of compassion. I think all of these things are wonderful, but here's the problem. I'm old enough now. It's fun, by the way, when when you start getting a little bit older and you're a preacher, like, it's, it's really fun because you can start using your age as a bit of, like, your resume. I'm really into it. So I'm like, Judah, we know you share your age every single time you preach. I played golf with a guy a few weeks ago, and he's like, bro, is there a reason you talk about your age in every single sermon? Yeah, it's called a midlife crisis. All right, so... <laughs> but wait, I've met people, you've met people who... Who are all those things? They didn't hold up. They didn't hold up. Because here's the facts. You are going to fail in your conduct. Your career won't be perfect. Your commitment won't be every hour of every day. And your compassion, it'll get exhausted. Have you heard about this study? The most compassionate people in the world are the people with the best boundaries. They did a study. In other words, if you're going to actually be a person of empathy and compassion, you actually have to draw the line and say, I can't have compassion and empathy for everything and everyone. Isn't that interesting? But as Christians sometimes, assuming many of you are, there's this idea that I'm just going to be compassionate for everyone all the time. Every Is anyone else getting compassion fatigue? I... I, 
I, I guess it's a terrible story. I can't believe I'm going to tell it, but I'm super excited, kind of. But you might walk out. So I was at a 4th of July parade up in the mountains, and I needed to get some money out of the ATM. And I'm not great with all of the technological stuff, but I was like, all right, I'm going to go to the ATM. And I don't bank at this bank. And so I put my ATM card in, and it, it took the card, and nothing happened. And I'm looking, and I'm like punching the, the ATM buttons, and then I'm kind of hammering the screen. All right, judge me, if you will. And I'm like, hey, and I'm talking to the ATM. Hey, you got my card. I'm like looking for people in the parade. Just take your card too. You know, no one say anything. I go, not, not a big deal, not a big deal. I'll go in, you know, on Monday or Tuesday, and I'll just say, hey, your machine ate my ATM card. Weird. Can I have it back? So that's what I did. I go on a Tuesday, and I walk in, this really nice lady, and she goes, can I help you? And I go, yeah. I go, hey, weird thing, 4th of July parade. I was trying to get some cash out. I, I put my credit card, uh, ATM credit card, into your machine. It just took it. Is there a way I could get, it, get that back today? Or she goes, do you do business with us? And I said, I, I, if I need to, uh, no, I haven't. She goes, then your card has been shredded, sir. This is Tuesday. And you know what I said to her? I said, good talk. And I turned around and walked out. <laughs> I ran out of compassion. I'm really a compassionate person, but I looked at this lady and I wanted to say other things. So the best thing I could come up with was good talk. <laughs> and I got in the car, Chelsea goes, what? And I go, not now, I don't wanna talk. <laughs> I don't wanna talk. I didn't talk for about five minutes. I was just like, in what world? Then, then, sir, your card has been shredded. <laughs> right? You're going to run low. You can't keep this up. I know you think your roots are your conduct, your compassion, your career, your empathy, your worldview, your perspective, your voting record status, your opinions, your, your economy concepts. That's, those are your roots. I don't know if those are going to last. I think this windstorm's a little bigger than the average windstorm. In the technological age, I can't promise you this is going to get better. I think opinions are going to proliferate as they always have, but at a hyper scale in today's world. My babies, not, they're not babies anymore, but at this point, none of them want to be a public servant because of what they witness in their mom and dad. And I love my life, don't get me wrong, but it ain't an easy thing anymore to be a preacher because everyone wants to pick your sermons apart. And it's like, I got into this not to make a lot of money. I got into this because I loved my dad, wanted to be like him, and then I fell deeply in love with this church pretty much the only church I've grown up in, one in Portland and one in Seattle. I thought everyone would be happy. And then I told people I got vaccinated and people left the church. And I was like, wait a minute, I thought people would be proud of me. That's why I was the first in line to get vaccinated because I got some as a kid and I thought I needed to get some as an adult. And then I went back and said, can I have it reversed? And they're like, no, <laughs> but, <laughs> but here's your booster. Do I have to? Yes, all right, like, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I don't know how all of you know about these vaccines. You know so much. I'm like trying to stay married and, and parent teenagers. How do you have so much time to do so much research online? 
the conversations I have, I'm like, you must be in medical school. This is amazing to me, right? Now, are we doing therapy or is this a sermon? I can't tell. <clears throat> well, the point is at some point you're going to, like any of us, you're going to reach your breaking point, aren't you? Where it's like, ah, forget my conduct. You know what? I'm, I quit my career. You know what? My commitment's got me nowhere. I'm done. How are you going to hold up? And what I'd like to communicate to you for the next few minutes is something I've just recently seen and I've never seen it before. And it's, it's, it's the apparel or the clothing of Jesus. I know, you didn't see that one coming. And here's how it happened. I, I got really fascinated with this woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And we talked about that. They did a message called On the Fringe because I feel like I'm on the fringe and you feel like you're on the fringe and I found out good news that God chooses, loves, and uses people on the fringe. But I started to think about the clothing of Jesus and how true to Jesus, whatever he does is on purpose. What I love, like, you know how we do filler stuff? You know, just filler. I'm the king of filler. If you hung out with me, we were just hanging. I say, I just, I mean, like, I'll be in the car, and if it's, like, too quiet for too long, I'll be like, man, we're blessed. It's not really filler, but it kind of is. Like, I'm just like my dad. Like, my dad, if things get awkward, he'll be like, oh, man, I sure love you guys. You know, he just wants to ease everyone's, like, angst and awkwardness. So I love to keep talking. I'll just keep talking. When no one's talking, I'm like, all right, I'm in, you know. So I know what that's, I know what that's like, but, but I, I, I saw the clothing of Jesus um, like I'd never seen it before. And what I love about Jesus is that nothing's filler. Nothing is without purpose and intention. That fascinates me. That draws me in because even his clothes matter. For instance, Jesus is born, and the Bible says on the first night of his arrival, we are told what he wore. He wore rags, swaddling. Swaddling, by the way, went out of style like in the 17th century. But in Jesus' birth, it was a trend. It was a style, but it's also very indicative. He was wrapped, right, wrapped in rags. Now, first of all, that is a portrait because he was born to die. So as he was wrapped, so he would be wrapped in a rich man's tomb in his sacrificial death for all of humanity. It's a nod to his death. It's a nod to the resurrection. It's a nod to the purpose for which he was born. He was born to die so that he might rise again. But he was also born in a very poor environment. He was born in a barn. He was put in a feeding trough. All of this is intentional. All of this is to send a message. He is the king of the people. He is the king of the common man. We are all wretched and poor and blind. Jesus is not out of touch with our humanity. As he was wrapped in swatting clothes, so he would be wrapped in humanity. God was a newborn. I mean, my youth pastor used to say, put that in your pipe and smoke it. And I was like, I don't know if that's the best thing to say to my high school buddies, but all right, you know. But like, it is kind of wild, isn't it? God was a newborn, man. He was a newborn, wrapped in rags. 
laid where? In a feeding trough, for he would be the bread of life that still feeds the nations. It's all there. The gospel, even in his birth, is there. In his life, is there. In his death, is there. In his resurrection, is there. In his ascension, is there. In his kingship, seated in heavenly places, it's there. It's, it's all there. His posture, his clothing, the elements, the environment, the context, it all tells the story. Don't miss the plot. Don't miss the plot. Don't miss the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is about the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. That's the plot of that sitcom, the most important sitcom ever created. That's the plot. The plot of Scripture is that Jesus is God fully and completely and is the Savior of the world. Don't miss the plot. Today, I would love to tell you how to be successful in business, but if we're not careful, we can miss the plot. I would love to help you with your parenting, but I can't help myself. Don't, I'm kidding, but don't, mostly, kind of, don't miss the plot. I love your parenting, I love, but what I'm going to give you is the plot. And if you connect to the plot, it can dramatically affect your use of finances. It can dramatically affect how you communicate to your spouse. It can dramatically alter how you handle your teenagers. Oh, it can dramatically impact whether or not you respect your boss tomorrow. The plot. Let's remember the plot. Even in Christmas, let's remember the plot. He didn't just come to Santa to bring his presence. He is the present. He is the sacrifice. And he was born to die. Jesus' clothes come up other places as well. It's interesting. We're told of his girdle. We're told of his robe. His robe, his, his, not his outer garment, but his undergarment, his robe was seamless, the Bible says. And we see this in John chapter 19, because even at the foot of the cross, his clothes are so, uh, how should I say, uh, luxury that they are gambled for. They are desired by Roman soldiers. They want to take and use that robe. The robe is so seamless and so wonderful. Most robes, of course, back then were, 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 were cut multiple pieces that were sewn together. Jesus' robe was seamless. It was one piece. Why? For he is fully God and fully man. He is the full and complete, the seamless payment for the depravity, selfishness, and sin of humanity. Jesus is completely God. He is seamlessly God. So even his clothes would tell you about him. And then the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1 that he will return and he will be clothed more than anything. He'll be clothed in light. People ask all the time, will we have clothes in heaven? And some of us would like to choose a brand for eternity. Something like Gucci for eternity. Prada for eternity. You know, something like, nah, I'm old. I, I like classic Chanel. You know, like whatever it is. If you're like me, I'm like, Zara has it all. You know, like, <laughs> but we won't actually have clothes in heaven. Ugh. Right? Some of you are like, oh, no. Mom needs clothes. We got to get mom some clothes. The Lord will make an exception for my mom. Stop it. Stop it right now. 
<laughs> okay? Your mom's enjoying her life. Stop it right now. Um, we're going to be clothed in light. I almost titled this message Rags to Radiance because the journey of the believer goes like this. Rags, robe, radiance. That's your journey. But between rag and radiance, between born in sin and depravity to a radiant forever in the immediate presence of God, my question today is, how you holding up? How you holding up? How you holding up? I have found incredible energy and solace and deep, deep inspiration from African-American men and women in this country, particularly historically. When we look back at the history of this country and we realize that we enslaved Africans, and if you read some of the writings of these old saints, you will hear a common theme. And the common theme is that radiance is my destiny and I'll be home soon. And I have found such comfort in that. I have found um, some level of humiliation at times for what we have done and pray for future authentic Jesus justice in the streets of this country. Having said that, how you holding up? How you holding up? And I think this idea of radiance is a big part of how you're going to hold up. That this is not home, so don't make it home. Be careful now, church. In all of our efforts to improve society, culture, countries, and context, don't you forget this isn't home. <laughs> this isn't home. And I think of Believers who were enslaved, I think of believers who were persecuted, beaten, murdered, killed for their faith. And there's a reoccurring theme in all of my research and study and writings, and that is these extraordinary Jesus followers had a deep sense of connection to their future radiance and eternal home with God. Don't forget you're going home, you're not home. Don't forget. And for those of us that have lost loved ones, that becomes a little more increasingly real. Now, I hope that you never have to lose a loved one to experience that, but I must say, the Smith family spent a lot of time talking about heaven when we lost our father and really the beloved pastor of this community. Heaven became this place we were going to see him again. Please don't forget that. Please don't forget that. Please don't forget that. And I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but there's some people here. You've lost some children, and I want you to know that you're going to go home, and they are there. They are there. And the fact that we have lost that comfort just speaks a little bit to how insulated we have become with our context, our country, and our circumstances. Be careful now. The Bible says that his, his hill, the hill of the Lord, would get brighter and brighter with its brilliance and its good news, but that the world would, in fact, 
grow more and more bleak and things will get more difficult. Now, I am your local church pastor who will tell you I am constantly believing for an improvement in culture and society. And we will work towards that. But having said that, we are not fickle people. We understand the truth. And the truth is you were made and I was made for eternity. And you will live forever. And I believe you will live forever in the immediate presence of Jesus. And there you will be clothed in light. Now, please don't take your clothes off because you're not clothed in light yet. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's not enough light, okay? We would need a lot more light, okay? So, so until then, even our clothes tell us that we're not there yet. A lot of things tell us we're not there yet. Until, before you freak out about what's going on in the earth, at least acknowledge, I can, we're not there yet. People died in, in missile attacks today. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. Fourth of July parades, people die. We're not there yet. Oh, we're not there yet. So how are you holding up? And this is why I believe the apparel of Jesus starts with rags. It ends with radiance. But in between, he has this undergarment robe that is a portrait and picture for you and for me. He has a robe. Guys, I think it's Isaiah 61. I don't know if I, Isaiah 61 and verse 10, if you could put this verse on the scripture, on the scripture, on the screen. <laughs> I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Isaiah here is not just prophesying of what will be. He's prophesying of what Jesus would usher in. So in a sense, yes, Isaiah is in fact uh, prophesying of the messianic work of Jesus. But we now, recipients of Isaiah 61 and verse 10 in 2022, this has now already been accomplished, if that makes sense. It's a prophecy, but a fulfilled one. Jesus came to give us a gift. That gift ultimately is himself. That gift of himself affords us with a priestly garment. A garment that reminds us every day, not of our performance, but of our position. Now, in the context of the New Testament, your position is far more important than your performance. In fact, in the New Testament, your position is to inform your performance. Your performance is not to inform your position. One is religion, the other is grace. And they're very, very different. Now, I started preaching a few minutes ago, in case you didn't notice. And that's where things get difficult, is over time, and I mean this 
very, very kindly, but in environments like this, in an effort to be practical and make application for believers, we overemphasize performance, we lose sight of position, and we go back to our knee-jerk human condition. And reaction is to say, my value, my standing, and my worth is based on performance. So instead of entering into the kingdom of God and the family of God, we join the football team of God. And because we're American, we understand performance. We understand performance. Now, of all of my athlete friends and all my actor friends, they will tell you something. When they win or come out with a big movie, all their friends reach out. People that don't even know are their friends. Hey, man, big congrats. Now, you know and I know what's happening. In America, we want to say, you know, I text so-and-so after they won Really, yeah. It's not really for your friend. It's just we like to be connected to performers, winners. Come on now. If you saw your favorite athlete or your favorite entertainer somewhere, I mean, wouldn't there be some kind of like, hey, could I get a quick pick real quick? Just real quick. I mean, I'm not this guy. I love this. This is my favorite. No offense to anybody here, but we all say that to that person. Hey, I'm never this person. You actually don't need to say that anymore. Just ask for the picture, okay? Because you are that person because you're being that person right then, okay? So <laughs> that's my favorite. I never do this. Irrelevant. You're doing it right now. All right. But we want photos because we want to be, but any of the, come on, some of you know what I'm talking about. When you don't win, Nobody texting you, blowing you up. We like performance. So we're fooling ourselves if we don't believe that we come in here and our knee jerk, our default, our go back, unless we're intentional and aware and understand renewing our mind and gather together like we do as believers like this right now, we tend to come into this room performance-based. We do. We do. We do. We do. I do. I'm your preacher. I don't preach bad usually, but I have. I don't want to, but if I do, that's going to be a bummer. And you're all going to be like, wow, he was off his game. And it won't be as exciting, and I won't get as nice as texts as I normally do on Sunday from some of my friends. I won't. Be like, hey, man, good to see you. Nice jacket. It's, it's life. So much of our life is performance. So much of our life is, hey, you look good. You look, yeah, I've been working out. Man, I can tell. No one says, man, you look good. You look like you totally let yourself go. That's incredible. Congrats. You look so unhealthy. Do you ever sleep? Super cool. So our whole world reinforces, and then we come in here. It's not intuitive. It's not intuitive. The gospel's not intuitive. It's counterintuitive. It's counterculture. It's counter your knee-jerk normal. And so when preachers, and this is honestly some of the criticism I get sometimes, you spend too much time talking about the position and not the performance. What should the believer do? But do you know why I do that? It's because the moment I start emphasizing performance, your brain and my brain goes right into that mode. Because Jesus is not going to pay my bills for me. And this is what I hear. And it's basically God helps those who help themselves, right? So I have to. 
So that's why I want to talk about your position again, because it is your position that will be the roots and your proverbial tree to keep you in this wind. It will not be your performance, because I can guarantee, thank you, Charles Barkley, that your roots, if they are in your performance, I promise you, you will fail. I can. It's the surest thing I'll say today. You will fail. But if you can put your roots in his performance and not your performance, you will always have an anchor. You will always have roots. And listen, sometimes that anchor might move a little bit. Sometimes a root might pop out, but you got other, it's, you're going to be, you're gonna, hey, you're going to be all right. The finish work of Jesus, the seamless work of Jesus. I want it to wash over you like a hot shower or a cold shower, whichever one's more relevant right now based on how you feel. <laughs> cold plunge, hot plunge, I don't know. Something plunge, okay? I want you just to soak in what he has done in your place, not just on your behalf, but in your place. Now, when it says he's given me the garments of salvation, I think this beckons to the priestly garments of the Old Testament priests, which we've talked about before. They were to be 100% linen, not wool, linen. Linen was to remove the sweat. This is a new covenant reality that is, we are given a portrait, a picture, a metaphor in the Old Testament of what a New Testament Jesus believer would have access to, and that is you would never have to sweat in the presence of God again. Now, that sweat is indicative of a number of things. Sweat is, am I approved or not? In the Old Covenant, it was 50-50 whether or not your sacrifice was going to be accepted. You were unsure. But now, who is the sacrifice? The seamless priest. The sinless priest. The perfect sacrifice. And so now, if you are not accepted by God, Jesus is not accepted. The sacrifice of Jesus has fully satisfied and exhausted the wrath of God. So for when you are hidden in Christ, you are accepted and you are loved. Now, a lot of people say, Judah, this teaching can be abused, just like religion's abused. All teachings can be abused, church. So we're going to stop teaching? There ain't not a teaching on this earth that isn't abused. You mean performance-based preaching isn't abused? You mean religion teaching isn't abuse? Of course it is. So is grace. Grace is used as a license to sin. That's when you think of grace more as a concept or an idea rather than a person and a romancer and a lover. Jesus is in love with you. Jesus wants to woo you. Jesus wants to enamor you. Jesus wants to intrigue you. Jesus wants to speak with you. Jesus empathizes with you. Jesus never leaves you. Jesus weeps with you. Jesus rejoices with you. Jesus 
comforts you. Jesus will sit with you. Jesus will stand with you. Jesus will lay with you. Jesus will walk with you. Jesus will fly with you. Jesus will sail with you. Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. He is a friend that sticks closer than a family member. He is everything you need in his performance has provided for you seamless acceptance with God, seamless righteousness. There are no seams. There are no cracks. There are no openings. There, there are no broken parts or flawed or fray. There is total and complete righteousness for all who believe. He's clothed me in garments of salvation. Listen to me. No striving, no sweating in your relationship with Jesus. I'm going to say it again. No striving, no sweating. No striving, no sweating. No striving, no sweating. No striving, no sweating. The Bible says he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Do you know that scripture never means that God won't reward people who don't diligently seek him? That verse doesn't say that. But that's what we assume. We assume that God only rewards those who diligently seek him. No, the scripture is very simple. And if you look at it in context, all it means is if you do diligently seek him, he's going to hook you up. He loves you. That don't mean he's not going to hook you up if you don't. It just means if you do, you can, for those who love to seek God, not strive, not sweat, God is a, a whisper, a word, a thought away. You ever had God talk to you in your thoughts? You're having thoughts, and then God gets involved with your thoughts, and you're like, man, you are everywhere. <laughs> I don't strive. I don't sweat. I don't stress with Jesus. Now, sometimes I strive with you. Sometimes I stress with you. Sometimes I sweat with you. I really do. But when it comes to Jesus, I want to be a linen wearer. He's totally in control. Wouldn't it be nice just to wear, you know what I'm talking about? Linen on your soul, linen on your mind, linen at work, linen at home, linen not even on vacation. Linen feels like vacation wear. I'm obsessed with linen in case you didn't know that. I'm a big linen guy, probably because of this. But linen just tells me like I'm somewhere tropical even though it's July and it's 58 and cloudy. <laughs> I want a church that wears linen. Linen in your marriage. You think you stressing and striving is going to save your marriage? Give yourself to the seamless one. Say, God, here's my marriage. I don't know what to do. It's wild because almost every time, some of you know what I'm talking about, almost every time I come to the end of myself, God is like almost, can I say it like this, almost giddy about it. I'm like, God, I can't, I don't know what to do. And he's like, good news. I know everything to do. I got you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to remind you of your position. I want to remind you what the performance of Jesus has provided for you, for it is the only gasoline in this life to keep 
you going? How, how, how you holding up? I'm hidden in Christ. <laughs> how you holding up? I'm a new creation. How you holding up? His mercies are new. Every morning, as sure as the rising of the sun. How you holding up? Jesus said, it is finished. And when he said it is finished, he meant that all the wrath of God that would be poured out on mankind for those who had sinned and all had sinned and fallen short of God's glory standard. If we simply receive the free gift of Jesus, all of his wrath and judgment has been exasperated and poured out in the body of Jesus. So now I am accepted and I'm loved. You said, how am I holding up? Righteous. I've been robed in righteousness. <laughs> Man, woo, this will change your life. If I knew other stuff would change your life, I'd preach other stuff. But this is the stuff that's changed my life. I want to, I'm going to end with this. I'm going to end with this. I, I got to end. We only have one service now, so I feel like since we had multiple services in the past, and I used to preach an hour, since we have one service, I'm looking for a church that would allow me to go two hours. Judah, grow up. Okay, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Don't cheer, because I have the same DNA as my father, and if you cheer, then I start to think that's a yes, and then like you could ask the prayer team. They've been sitting through long sermons for 27 years, to be exact. So, this is a short one. We're at 55 minutes. Not a problem. <clears throat> How bad is it? Because I think I know what some of you are thinking. I'm guessing. It's not a prophecy or a word of knowledge. But I think some of you are thinking, you don't know how bad it is. See, Judah, I'm an addict. See, Judah, I'm... I've hurt somebody. See, Judah, I have an anger problem and I've gotten physical and this might, I'm going into court this week and they might put me in prison for the third time. You, it's, it's bad. It's bad. How bad is it? Can the righteousness of Jesus actually help in extreme conditions? You know, extreme conditions. Now, I love this because you and I both know that we always talk, we don't preach this or talk about this because sin is supposed to be sin, but we all know there are levels of sin. And by the way, if you're wondering how Christians define levels of sin, it's levels of consequences. That's how we've defined them. That's how we've defined them. That's how we've defined them. So there's con different, there are different consequences, but sin is sin, but the consequences are different. So then we, we say certain love. For instance, if I, if I did something to disqualify myself as a minister, if I stole money from this church, if I cheated on my wife, there would be, you should rest assured, we have multiple boards. I have a lead pastor committee. We have a board of elders. I have uh, an accountability group. All these people, and they would say, no, you're, you're not going to be the preacher anymore, but, but, Sin is sin, but in certain conditions, we think of extremes and we think, well, what would righteousness do there? So let me take you to a man who was so out of his mind, he was filled with a horde of demons. In Luke chapter 8, and this is his end when he comes in Luke chapter 8 and verse 35, it says, then the people of the region came out to see for themselves what had happened. When they came to where Jesus was, they discovered the notorious madman 
the notorious. Now, if it says notorious madman and you don't relate, you need to get more in touch with your brokenness because <laughs> we're all notorious madmen in a way without the grace of God. And it says the notorious madman was totally set free. He was clothed, speaking intelligently, and sitting at the feet of Jesus. <laughs> and you know what's wild about this guy? He was naked before he met Jesus. But after he met Jesus, he put some clothes on. This demoniac, churches don't like this, but this demoniac is less about people being set free from demons and it's more about people experiencing the work of salvation and righteousness. It really is. It's definitely about God can set you free from demons. He can. But aren't we all plagued by some level of sin and selfishness? Some of you, if you just answer that question, I'm not plagued by sin and selfishness. You're plagued by self-righteousness and pride. That's what plagues you. See how I got you there? I wish he'd preach less about people's problems and sins and more about like God's amazing destiny for our lives because I really, um, I don't know how to say this, but I live a pretty godly life. Oh, you're arrogant. <laughs> That's really diabolical pride. And so it is in me. Am I the only one that like just this week Somebody I was kind of annoyed at is going through a difficult time, and I'm like, yeah, serves them right. And you're like, I am a horrible human. I love it when parenting turns into a way to also, like, prop yourself up. Now, kids, obviously what happened with our friends is hard, but this is why we follow the Lord. That's the way parents tell their kids, we're better than the Joneses. Listen, I can prove to you how bad you are, but that's really a fruitless activity, so let's move on. The point is, you know what Jesus does? He clothes us. We start to gain wisdom and understanding. And do you know where this man is once he gets free? This is how you know positional grace has been preached and not performance. When you preach performance, People receive it and they go on their merry way. When you preach the position of Jesus, that gospel preaching leads people to his feet. Rather than focusing on your feet, you should focus on his feet. Jesus, I'm just going to be here. Be still and know that you are not God. <laughs> be still and know that he is God. Oh, I got good news today. The seamless robe of righteousness is available to all. Not based on your background, not based on your resume, not based on this week, not based on this morning, not based on what you do, don't do, will do, won't do, how you gonna do, what you're up to, your investments, your income, your portfolio, your career, your social standing, your political record. No, the robe of righteousness is not limited to any. For any who receive 
the robe of righteousness. How you holding up? Righteous. How you holding up? Accepted. How you holding up? Hidden in Christ. What's your root system? Character? Oh, I love character. I think character's wonderful. But see, I got any kind of character you think I got, I got by focusing on the character of Jesus. Any lasting integrity you think I have, you can ask my friends, big theme right now in my life is integration. I want integration. I want to be the same guy up here and the same guy at the coffee shop. I want full integration. I want my kids to know me. I want my friends to know me. I want the church to know me. I want full integration. But where do I get the motivation for integration? I don't get it because I want to be a better person or a noble person or a better preacher or a better pastor. I get it because I see Jesus and he seems to woo me in to his righteousness and he woos me in to his life lifestyle and I want to be kind and I want to be consistent and I want to be passionate and I want to be compassionate because I want to be like Jesus. I don't want to be like me. I want to be like Jesus. How do we become like Jesus? By focusing on Jesus, oh, instead we take all the qualities of Jesus and we're like, we'll be back. And we come over and have church and we're like, here's the seven qualities you need to incorporate in your lifestyle. The qualities you extrapolated apart from the person have no power. And I, look, I love TED Talks, and I love motivational speaking, and I've done a little bit, frankly, for some businesses, and it's fun. It always is a little hollow for me because I'm like, do they know that it's all about Jesus? Or, right? I did a thing for Chick-fil-A, and I might have slipped it in there because it's Chick-fil-A, you know? I was like, they can handle the God thing, I guess, since they're closed on Sundays. I sure wish they were open, but that's beside the point. <laughs> Am I the only one like, ah, I wish they were a little less focused on Jesus on Sunday. <laughs> I need that chicken on Sunday, Jesus. But holiness. Hey, hey, pastor, when are you going to preach on holiness? Oh, I've been preaching on holiness. Holiness has a name. It's Jesus. Hey, when, when are you going to preach on parenting? Oh, I've been preaching on parenting. Parenting has a name. It's called Jesus. When are you going to preach on, I think people need to handle their money better, Pastor. When are you going to preach on budgeting? I've, I've been preaching on budgeting. You have? What was the name of the series? Jesus. The treasure of all nations. The one who has to frame for us the, the meaning of money. The one who gave us breath and life. Gave us hummingbirds to watch and eagles soar in the sky and trees climbing two, three hundred feet high. Canyons that take our breath away and oceans, even the sound of the ocean can soothe our soul. And lakes and rivers and hills and giraffes and rhinos. Aren't we spellbound by this great God? Does he not speak to us about our children, our spouse, our job, our checkings? our savings. 
This isn't practical enough. I want personal over practical every single Sunday. You need less practical. You need more personal. You need more intimacy. You need him. You need, I, did you know that I'm 43? Judah, not again. But the point is, I've learned when you hit a really, really good golf shot, Alan, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, oh, that's what I came for. You barely feel it off the face of the driver and you look in the sky and the ball's just soaring and you're like, ah, ah. And you're like, I can't wait to golf again. I've seen the worst golfers for four and a half hours go through what seems like what hell shall be. Four and a half hours and hear the accidental pure shot. And they do this. And you're like, it got them. And they turn around, they're like, that was good, right? I'm like, that was good. They're like, oh, can we play tomorrow? And I'm like, not with you. I didn't come for a forest hike. I came to play golf. God bless you. But here's what I learned in 43 years, and I really mean it. It's happened a lot in this building. It's happened not a lot, and it's happened a lot not in this building too, though. When all of a sudden, I don't always get to feel him. And I'm not sure why that always is, but I'm telling you, when I experience his presence, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to put it in words. My dad used to try to put it in words. But I can explain it to the best of my ability. When I feel his presence, it's like an instant release of endorphins, but it's deeper. It's eternal. And all of a sudden, my brain goes, whoa. And my heart goes, yeah. And my organs in my body just goes, bro. And the other day I was driving in my car and, uh, you know, I usually cry in a service too. So this is probably we're going to cue the tears, but I was driving in my car and I know this sounds strange, but I lost my dog on 4th of July, my little Louie. And he's tiny. He's this little, little, uh, uh, multi-poo, this little teacup multi-poo. And we lost him in like four acres. And all I could imagine was like on 4th of July, a bald eagle in the name of America, taking my dog. (laughs) All right? And this random guy comes out of the trees. I'm Miss Tammy, I'm telling you the truth. Comes out of the trees, and he's like, is this your dog? And I'm like, who are, he was a shirtless man. Very, works out a lot. And he, <laughs> he actually didn't leave the party for quite some time. But anyways, he, he gives us the dog, so the next morning I'm driving to get coffee, and I go, what kind of God are you, bro? <laughs> You're unbelievable. You brought my silly little dog back to me. His name was Vince. He had his name Vince on his knuckles. Next week, I'm going to have Vince on my knuckles. I can guarantee you that. Vince, he used his thumb knuckle too. Vince, right? And I was like, Vince. And I started laughing. I started giving. I was like, God, you you put Vince there. got my little dog. I said, you're incredible. And all of a sudden, it's not always like this. I, I wish it was. If it was, I'd probably be really arrogant. But all of a sudden, the car just 
filled with the sense of his approval and his love and his goodness. And if you knew me like I know me, you'd be like, God, you shouldn't be here. I'm an angry, selfish person. And here you are filling. And you know what? I was in a minivan and I didn't think God filled minivans. I really didn't. I thought God was like, oh, I can't go there. And I was like, I don't blame you. I was in a minivan and God met me. And I, it, you know, it sustains me. Just him. I just want him. And I'm not going to be your preacher forever. You know that and I know that. But while I am, I got to give you only the stuff that changes me. And it's him. When he comes in my silly little baby blue minivan. And this is what I heard in my heart. I'm so proud of you. And I was like, I'm proud of you. You know, I don't know what to say, you know. Thank you. Do you know how much he loves you? I know you're, you're 27 and you're really worked up about, you know, things you got to work on and how you got to improve. You're so adorable. You're 63, you're 72, you're facing retirement, and you're all worked up about the way things are going to work. And I just want you to know that God's not worked up today. His son, Jesus, has placed upon you a seamless robe that has no fray. It's not broken, tired, worn out in any way. And he calls you righteous. That's my son. I'm proud of him. Conditional love is the norm, but with Jesus, it's never conditional. It's always unconditional. And you hear me, if you hear nothing else today, you are in fact unconditioned. Unconditioned means no conditions. Judah, we know. All right. No conditions for his love. Did you hear me? No conditions. No conditions. David says, I figured out how unconditional it is, and I promise I'm done, Amanda, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. David said, if I make my bed in hell, I am sure he'll follow me there. He just won't let me go. And you know, this morning, maybe you staggered into church. Maybe you limped into church. Maybe you shuffled into church. But I got good news. The fact that you're here proves to me God ain't going to let you go. He loves you. How you holding up? I got to be honest, and I know I'm an emotional person, and so this does not come as a surprise. But depending on what time of the week it is, I'm like, I'm out. Somebody transplant me. Get my roots and all. I'm out of here. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. This is too much. Like if if you work with people, anybody work with people? Anybody? Okay. (laughs) I'm really considering a a one-person online job that's just at home. Okay, that's one thing I'm considering right now. What can I do? Play poker online. No, I, I wouldn't be good at that. I don't know how to play poker, but you just... It's windy. And what I'm finding every day in my life, in my practice, is I just keep rehearsing. 
the seamless ways of Jesus. I'm righteous. I'm loved. I'm forgiven. Somebody asked me, how you doing? And I said this. I've never been more in love with my wife. Never. Never been more in love with my kids. Never been more loved by Jesus. And never been more unsettled in all my life. That's me. But see, my roots are his righteousness. That's my roots. You can't touch those roots. Can't touch them. They're fixed. They're firm. They're not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. They've been proven. By the way, my roots have track record. Do your roots have track record? Men and women have held up under the threat of death with these roots. They faced death and considered it an honor with these roots. Fellow men and women that lived in this country enslaved, they held up under horrific injustice because of these roots. You can go to the bank on these roots. Roots of righteousness, they're eternal. And they anchor themselves in the finished work of Jesus and his perfect blood that was spilled. <laughs> You're going to make it. You hear me? You're going to make it, church. The winds will come and we will sway. But we will not break. Don't you get it confused. Though you're swaying, you're not breaking. And I know some of you are getting a little uncomfortable with all the swaying. Let us sway. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. But we're not going to break because the robe of righteousness is our roots and it's our substructure. Jesus is the chief cornerstone and the foundation. Now I'm mixing metaphors because it feels good. Come on. So you know what you are? And I'm done, and Amanda Cook is going to sing. Let me tell you who you are. Let me tell you who you are. You are the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. That's your foundation. That's your root system. That's your strength. That's your fortitude. That's it. That's it. That's it. Trust in him, church. And the winds will come, and the winds will go, and we shall remain. Jesus, I thank you. It feels so special to be here together, kind of meandering through your scripture and your story and your ways and your person. And I feel your spirit in this auditorium. Your spirit form is here. The third person of the Godhead, the spirit of Jesus is amongst us. Affirming, confirming, convicting, Revealing you. So we welcome you, Spirit of God, to convict your children of righteousness. Convict us of our righteousness today. Deep in the soul of our being, remind us that we are who we are by the grace of God. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And the power of Christ rests upon us. Having begun a good work in you, God will finish it until the day of eternity and completion. And God, we rejoice today that there will come a day that you will split the sky and you will return on a white stallion and you will come with fire in your eyes and radiance that close your body and you are the triumphant Savior and champion of the world.
and you have never lost, and you will never lose. You are second to none. You have no peer. You are the God of the whole earth. You've always been and you always will be. You are the everlasting. You are the alpha. You are the omega. You are everything we need, everything we're looking for. You are our doctor. You are our lawyer. You are our go-between. You are our paraclete. You are our prayer team member. You are our intercessor. You are praying for our children. You are praying for our grandchildren. You are praying over our businesses and over our homes and over our bodies. You're everything we need. We adore you and we love you and we worship you and we honor you. Oh, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you're here today and you say, Judah, I would like to receive the free gift of forgiveness that only Jesus offers. You don't earn it, deserve it, warrant it. You simply receive it. If you would like to receive the free gift of forgiveness that only Jesus offers, all I'm going to ask is that you do something physically to respond because I think it makes it more real to you, to you, to you. You don't need to raise your hand to be saved, but the raising of your hand, I think, helps notify you in the deepest part of your soul that God is in this place. And God is speaking to you, and God is saving you, and God is rescuing you, and God is forgiving you. So if you receive that, you believe that that's happening to you right now where you sit or where you watch online. If that's happening on the count of three, I want you to lift up your hand and put it right back down. One, two, three. If that's you, just shoot up your hand all over the auditorium. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And that's doing something in your soul. That's doing something in your heart. God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. Whom the sun sets free is free completely free forever, free from judgment, condemnation. Thank you, Father. We have no obligation towards sin any longer. We are forgiven. We are righteous. We are accepted. We are covered. We are loved. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.